0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George.
1: Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. We'll have the privilege today of speaking with Dr. Michael Pasquarello, who is a professor of preaching at Fuller Theological Seminary, the Lloyd John Ogilvy Professor of Preaching. We knew Dr. Ogilvy; He visited Beeson Divinity School, and you hold that chair there. A distinguished scholar, uh, degrees from Duke Divinity School, PhD from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, former professor at uh, one of our sister institutions, Asbury Theological Seminary. It's a great privilege to welcome you to Beeson and to this podcast. Well, thank you, Dr. George.
0: Uh, I'm just delighted to be here.
1: Let's just begin by saying a little bit about how you got into this work and your, your background, and then we want to move directly into the work of your uh, academic theological trajectory.
0: Sure. I was raised in the church, and the congregation in which I was raised had a very high view of Scripture, and preaching was very important And the pastor of that church, I have a a mental image of him holding his Bible when he preached and how seriously he took Scripture and how formative the proclaimed Word was for us. As We were a small congregation, but it was just extremely significant. And I heard sermons on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, on Wednesday evening. And so when I sensed God was calling me into pastoral ministry— and I left a career uh, as an officer in the United States Marine Corps to go back to school and attend seminary. To be pastor for me meant to be preacher. And I'm a Wesleyan. And as you know, and John Wesley referred to his ministers as preachers. Mm. And so to be a pastor and to be a preacher go together. You need to be, as you say here at Beeson Divinity School, a pastor who can preach. And so preaching was very, very important for me uh, as a student, and then in the 18 years that I was a pastor, and now, of course, I work as a professor of preaching.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of your scholarship has focused on the intersection of theology and preaching. Uh, That's not just always the case. Uh, I think some preaching is not very theologically informed, and you can do theology without ever thinking about how it is proclaimed. You've seen the important connection there. Talk about that.
0: Yes, uh, that's really been the heart of my work is to uh, reunite what was once joined in the Christian tradition. And for the majority of uh, Christian tradition, if we think about some of the great preachers, you have them in your chapel. Uh, These are people who were known as leading theological voices as well as significant preachers. And it seems that in the modern time, we've divided theology and preaching, and so a person can excel in preaching, and doesn't have to pay a whole lot of attention to theology. Now, that's not an academic thing. For me, it goes much deeper than that. And and the reason I pursued this line, this way of working uh, as a teacher and a scholar is that because preaching is of God. It's not just communication or skill or technique or personality, but it is a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And the primary actor in preaching is God. That's a theological matter, and that's really what my work has been about.
1: One more question before I want to jump into your, your most recent book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm fascinated by your interest in Bonhoeffer. He's one of our great heroes here at Beeson, as you know, and media – Talk about media, because it seems one of the things that's changed from the great tradition you've just described is the fact that we now have new and different and sometimes challenging forms of media. And how does that relate to preaching? Drama is one, but also all the social media that we live with?
0: Yes. um, I think this is why understanding preaching theologically is so important. The use of media in ministry is often assessed pragmatically. The question that's asked is, does it work and do people like it? Of course, media is always intrinsic to preaching, even if the only media that's used is the person and the voice of the preacher. So the question needs to be one that's much more theological and aligned with the gospel. Is it faithful and does it communicate faithfully and well the message of Jesus Christ? And often, those who are strong and enthusiastic advocates for media and ministry tend to not ask those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not against the use of media. Here we are on a podcast. We're utilizing media. But the question is, to what end is it being used? And is the manner in which it's used congruent with what's being said?
1: Now, last year you published a book from Baylor University Press titled Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Theology of a Preaching Life. How did you get interested in Dietrich Bonhoeffer?
0: Well, I was required to read The Cost of Discipleship as an undergraduate. And and to that point, I knew nothing about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But in that course, we read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer crossed the discipleship. I really wasn't a, a mature enough to grasp the depth of what Bonhoeffer was saying, but I had a sense it was very important. And so I continued to read him over the years. And my uh, love for him just grew more and more. Uh, I read him often when I was a pastor. And then in my work uh, now as a, in, the acad- in academic life, I've seen how significant Bonhoeffer was for 20th century theology, but it's been in recent years with the publication of Dietrich Bonhoeffer works in English mm-hmm. that we have over a hundred sermons that have survived and that are available. And I just found those to be so inspiring and encouraging to me as a preacher and a teacher of preaching. And so that's what led me to want to write the book and to write it in the way that I did.
1: You know, we think of Bonhoeffer as a theologian, as you say, as an activist – we all remember, you know, the, the drama of his life in the time of the Nazi period of history, uh, his courage, uh, uh, his uh, camaraderie with so many of the, the fellow people who were being suffered, including Jewish people. He was actually imprisoned not for trying to assassinate Hitler but for helping Jews escape from Germany. Later on, his role in the conspiracy came to light. Uh, but you focused on Bonhoeffer as a preacher and as a teacher of preachers. Say a little bit about that focus for you.
0: Well, I found in reading a, a, a large amount of of the of work on Bonhoeffer that Bonhoeffer scholars who provide us with a, a wealth of knowledge and understanding tend to simply overlook his work as a preacher and a teacher of preaching. And when they talk about his theology and how his theology was lived uh, in in his context in Germany. Uh, They tend to not say much about how that was embodied and given voice in his preaching and then how he intentionally taught preachers and tried to shape them in that manner, especially at Finkenwald in the underground seminary of the Confessing Church. So there seemed to be a void in Bonhoeffer scholarship. There seemed to be something missing in the story. And my goal was to try to offer something that might help fill that. He was a pastor, wasn't he? He was a pastor, and, and, and in Germany, of course, the, the title pastor in the Lutheran Church carries with it great honor and authority, and he was just referred to by many, many people as Pastor Bonhoeffer. He had a doctorate in systematic theology from the University of Berlin, but they didn't refer to him as Dr. Bonhoeffer. They referred to him as Pastor Bonhoeffer. And, of course, Pastor Bonhoeffer meant Bonhoeffer the preacher,
1: And some of his students, he wanted even to call him Bruder, Brother Bonhoeffer, which shows, I think, a sense of fellowship that they shared, a koinonia in that community at Finkenwald. You know, we have a Finkenwalde day here at Beeson. Every fall, we take a day off and there are no, no classes. Offices are closed. And we come together as a community to kind of live through the experience of Finkenwalde, understanding we're in a very different context. We're not trying to imitate in some artificial way. But we have a time of silence. Uh, we have a time of scripture reading. We have a time of corporate worship and singing. We share the Lord's Supper together, communion. We play together because they did that too at Finkenwalde. And that's, I think, had a formative influence on Beeson Divinity School in recent years.
0: I think that's wonderful. And my own hope is that theological education in North America, as we move forward in the 21st century, will recover that kind of community discipline that will not only educate us well, but will shape and form us accordingly. And there, Bonhoeffer, drawing from a, a number of sources, the monastic tradition um, and others in the pietist tradition, recognize that what we do in ministry is not something we can do alone. Mm-hmm. But it is a communion, and one in which the Holy Spirit forms us and encourages us and 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 prepares us for what we do and uh I will talk about this in my lecture on thursday yeah think uh but and the sort of the habits of of their life together uh that was intended to uh, form them in a way that they could remain faithful to the Gospel in a time where that kind of faithfulness was just a formidable challenge.
1: Use that word "form," and I think formation is what uh, theological education ought to be about. We sometimes get away from that into techniques and all other kinds of things, and we lose the fact that we are really trying under god 's leadership to form men and women for the service of the church of jesus christ and that 's exactly what Bonhoeffer was about at Finkenwalde. Maybe you can give us a little preview of that lecture uh, because not everybody listening to the podcast will have heard it in person. What are you going to say to us
0: well, some of the things I'm going to talk about is uh, what he had in mind, the vision that he had when he when he established the uh, the, the seminary. Uh, and one of the things he said that caught my eye when I read his letters, he wrote a letter to Karl Barth, and he was deeply concerned that young people who were being called into ministry were not being heard. And the German church seemed to be very much out of touch with people. Uh, he, had, he had written about that as a graduate student. He wrote about it in his dissertation. Mm-hmm. And and yet he was very concerned that, that they were not provided an opportunity to voice their concerns and their questions about the faith, mm-hmm. about ministry, about theology, in a deeply, deeply conflicted and troubled time. And so mm-hmm. Fickenwald provided that kind of setting where students not only were taught and listened, but they had opportunity to speak and to share, and Bonhoeffer was always at the center of those conversations. Often they were informal over dinner, after meals, where they would just sit together and talk for long, long periods of time about matters of faith and matters of living the Christian life and, and the kinds of things that students had on their mind. I thought that was extremely important. The other was that he participated with them in what he asked them to do. Mm. So they had to do they had to do exegetical work to prepare sermons, mm-hmm. and then they had to do sermon outlines, and then they would preach for each other, and then they would respond to each other with great respect because it was the ministry of the Word. And then Bonhoeffer would offer his exegesis and his sermon outline, and sometimes he would preach for them as well. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't anything that he asked them to do that he did not do himself. You mentioned the Bible. What, what?
1: role does the Bible have in preaching? What role did it have for Bonhoeffer and those
0: students? Oh my, well, it was the heart of the matter. And in fact, uh, he said in, in when he planned the shape of the seminary that the aim of what they were about would be that a, he put it this way, that the aim of a Protestant pastor is to come of age in the handling of holy scripture mm. now that's a tall order <laughs> that's a high standard and it has a, and with it comes a high view of the word in preaching and and that the role of the church in the world is to be a living witness to Jesus Christ
1: you know you mentioned the name karl bart a few minutes ago uh, bart of course was a friend of bonhoeffer a mentor in some ways of Bonhoeffer. And I remember a book on homiletic that Bart himself uh, wrote in which he makes this statement. It's always just kind of grabbed me when I read it. He said that uh, preachers are not simply to preach about the Bible but from the Bible. <laughs> so indicating that the Bible is not just a, a fetish that we hold up and somehow uh, – uh, idolize in an inappropriate way, but it is the source, the life of preaching itself. It's from the Bible
0: that we preach. And That's that was Bonhoeffer so, too, wasn't it? It was. It's so true. Uh, in my preaching classes, I have students uh, read Bonhoeffer's sermons. And one of the things that they consistently comment on is that he doesn't talk about the text. He talks out of it. He talks from it. And he does it in a way that invites us into it. Mm. And, And that he shared with Bart. There's no doubt about it. And the Bible is not just a resource we go to to find things to talk about, but it is the source of preaching itself.
1: Now, in your book, you have a chapter titled, Discovery of a Black Jesus. You know, Bonhoeffer came to America twice, and in that first time, when he was a student at Union Theological Seminary, he took a long road trip, which brought him way down into Texas. He went to Mexico. And coming back, he actually drove right through Birmingham, Alabama, where one of his close friends, an African-American's father, was the pastor of 16th Street Baptist Church, the church that would later be known because of the horrible bombing that took place there in 1963. So say a little bit about this black Jesus that Bonhoeffer discovered when he was in America in Harlem and experiencing uh, the whole issue of race in our culture.
0: I think it would be fair to say that Bonhoeffer's encounter with the racial situation in America was simply... Shocking to him and eye-opening. He referred to African-Americans as the outcasts of America. And yet his friend, Frank Fisher, who was from Birmingham, invited him to Abyssinian Baptist Church in East Harlem where Adam Clayton Powell Sr. was the pastor. It was a strong, strong congregation in in that part of the city. And Bonhoeffer uh, writes to a uh, friend's home in Germany and he, and he says that he was there every Sunday and they invited him to teach a Sunday school class and there he was introduced to uh, what was then called the the black renaissance mm-hmm. the harlem renaissance where many uh black folks uh gravitated to new york and and uh, christianity and the black church he writes that it's where he saw the gospel most powerfully proclaimed and lived in america Mm-hmm. And he was deeply disappointed with what he saw in white churches, uh, particularly some of the most prominent white churches in New York, because they accommodated what they did to what people wanted and expected. But the black Jesus, which comes from a poem written by a, a black poet, uh, it tells the story of a black man who was brutally beaten and then hung. Mm-hmm. And he serves as an image of Jesus hanging on the cross, who enters fully into the suffering of all humanity, and and what Bonhoeffer was um, exposed to and that opened his eyes uh, at Abyssinian Baptist Church is how black folk drew such deep hope mm. in in Christ as the Savior and Lord who is with them, those who've been oppressed and rejected and just pushed aside and mm. outcast. Mm. And that was very, very influential for Bonhoeffer, and I believe shaped much of what he, how he thought when he returned to Germany, mm-hmm. and especially what he encountered with the way the Jews and others were treated in Germany.
1: And one of the things he took back with him from that experience were the spirituals. He had these long playing albums, records, which he would play to his students in Finkenwalde, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and all those wonderful spirituals that come out of the African-American tradition. Say a little bit about the theology of those spirituals and how that related to Bonhoeffer and, as you were saying, what he saw happening in America with race, but also back in Germany uh, with the horrible campaign of anti-Semitism leading finally to the Holocaust.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. He loved Bach, and yet he loved black spirituals. Both of them were a source of hope. Both of them focus on a God who comes and gives himself for us, a God who is with us. And, of course, that was very, very... Congruent with Bonhoeffer's Lutheran theology and a theology of the cross. The weak, suffering, crucified Lord uh, who comes near to us uh, to be with us and embrace us to himself. And so I think uh, the playing the spirituals and also uh, singing Bach uh, <laughs> at Finkenwalde, which they did, uh, was to uh, inspire hope in God at an incredibly hopeless time. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, if you were to encourage some of our listeners who may not know Bonhoeffer so well, I know a lot of our listeners will have read Bonhoeffer, but maybe some not, where should they begin? What books uh, of Bonhoeffer himself would you recommend that they dive into?
0: To get an overall, I think, view of his life and his ministry, the classic biography is Eberhard Betke, uh, who was a close friend, a uh, very, very close friend, and And I think that he provides firsthand perspective on much of Bonhoeffer's life and uh, all that they uh, experienced together. It's still the standard biography Mm -hmm. in the field. My introduction was Cost of Discipleship. I think it's a good place to begin.
1: It's also the first Bonhoeffer book I
0: read. I think Life Together Mm -hmm. is very, very helpful because it provides a related look on the Christian life that is more communal in nature, and and it helps— understand the ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life and draws us together and the kind of disciplines that Christians practice Mm -hmm. in order to be faithful and to grow uh, and to become, uh, well, Bonhoeffer was not ashamed at all to talk about being sanctified Mm -hmm. and being made holy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very important to him. I think those are two, the two places that, that I would recommend to begin along with the Betka biography. There are Books uh, that Bonhoeffer wrote that are more technical in theology. If someone would be interested in that, he wrote two dissertations Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Communio Sanctorum, the Communion of Saints, which is his first dissertation, his second dissertation is "Act and Being," which is more philosophically oriented uh, they 're both significant works. Uh, they provide good insight into uh, you know how he thought theologically. Okay. Another work that 's been very influential and continues to be today is his, his book Ethics, mm-hmm. which provides a kind of a wide range of perspectives on a whole matter of, of range of issues related to the church, its life in the world and the Christian life and the particular kind of challenges that we face, uh, I found ethics to be very, very helpful uh, in my own reading and my own understanding.
1: Yeah. And then his letters and papers from prison, which uh, were extracted from some of his papers uh, as he was facing death, uh, and and not finished, as as ethics was not finished either as a complete work, uh, is still very important for understanding how he was facing that crisis moment in his life. You know, this semester at Beeson, we're, we're doing the Psalms in chapel, it's our theme. And he has a wonderful little commentary on the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. And so those are wonderful places to dive into the richness of Bonhoeffer. I'm so glad you mentioned the Dietrich Bonhoeffer works in English. This is the English translation of the critical edition of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's works, which of course are in German, and it gives us an enormous resource, doesn't it? For it does. delving into this great uh, figure in our in our it life. It does.
0: It's sixteen volumes. I spent much time with it as I worked on the book. Critical edition, wonderful introductions afterwards, extensive footnotes, cross-references. Very, very helpful.
1: Just one more question. We're almost out of time. But, you know, we've just celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We've had big celebrations here at Beeson. Many other places around the world, we've remembered Martin Luther and the the great heritage of the Protestant Reformation. Bonhoeffer, of course, was a Lutheran. I think he quotes Luther more than anybody else except the Bible in his own words uh could you say how Bonhoeffer's preaching in particular might have been influenced by Martin Luther and that aspect of the
0: Reformation Yes it was deeply influenced by uh, by Luther and he cites Luther often uh, when he in in his lectures on homiletics with his students uh, I would say central to it is that in the proclaimed word Christ himself is present speaking acting calling summoning judging forgiving blessing inspiring uh, that was Martin Luther he Luther said when you when you look at Jesus Christ you point to him and you say there is God and Bonhoeffer said that's what happens in the proclaimed word when the church assembles to worship God, Christ is present. God comes to us in Him and we act, we, through the work of the Holy Spirit, hear His voice addressing us today mm-hmm. through the witness of scripture and the words of the preacher. I mean, it's a rich and deep theology of preaching. One I, I believe we need to recover in our time.
1: The Real Presence of Jesus Christ and the Preaching of the Word of God, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Well, I've been talking today to Dr. Michael Pasquarello. He is uh, the Lloyd John Ogilvie Professor of Preaching at Fuller Theological Seminary, a wonderful scholar, a person of faith, a minister of the gospel in the Methodist tradition. We're so honored to have you with us, and thank you for this conversation
0: today. Thank you, Dean George. It's my pleasure to be with you.